right, so this is the Venture Capital Podcast. If you want to subscribe or see us on other channels, Instagram, TikTok, whatever, go to venturecapital.fm, www.venturecapital.fm, and you can see us on the internets. What is your favorite uh, VC meme? Do you have a favorite VC meme? Favorite VC meme. Maybe favorite VC account, meme account. Oh, I mean, that's easy. So prank Brexits. Okay. Great. Instagram. If you love VC and you're not already a subscriber, you should subscribe. His, his stuff is really on point. Something you talked about is that there's a lot of inside jokes that you think the regular population doesn't get. Like, what are, what are we missing? I don't know. It's just things like, um, I'm trying to think of like a good example of one of his stuff. His or her, you don't know the gender. That's true. Oh, it is a guy, but it was on. I'm pretty sure it's a guy based on like, you know, his talking about the different types of cologne he likes and stuff like that. Okay, I don't follow him that closely. Maybe I should. I could be wrong. Could be a woman. Okay. Could be. I think they were on uh, This Week's in Startups once with Jason McCannis. Yeah, with a voice. Did they use the. I don't know. I think they did. It wasn't his real voice. Though. Um, I don't know. There's just like things like you know partner dynamics or the the you know people may not fully get, okay right um, that the select few get that the select few get yeah. How are partner dynamics for a VC fund different than partner dynamics with a startup? Well, so if you think about a venture fund, the way a venture fund is structured, you have. You know, like a typical fund will have like somewhere between three and five partners. And each of those partners is kind of responsible for driving like their portion of the overall returns. And depending on how the fund is structured, there could be different, you know, incentives or alignment. Like some funds, like all the partners are equal, but in most funds, they're not all equal. And so like, you know, you could have like a junior partner that just scored, you know, that investment in, in Uber that's now worth like, you know, 10x the fund and they're not getting the compensation that they feel like they deserve. And the older guy that, or woman that's like been there forever, but then didn't source anything good is getting all the profits and like they're pissed. And, you okay. know, sort of like all these like dynamics that happen, you know, I think it can probably happen to a similar extent within a startup if you have like two founders and like one's not really pulling their weight and the other one's doing all the work, right? Um, but I think one of the, the big differences is that startups by their very na- nature are designed to be like kind of transitory, right? It's either like, yeah, you succeed and then you, you convert from like startup into company you know, or you fail. Uh, whereas a venture fund, it's like you're going to make a bunch of bets and then you're gonna watch those bets play out for another like 10 to 15 years. Okay. Right? And so the longevity of these relationships and then like the outcomes of performance and they just take a lot of time and like, so it just creates slightly different dynamics. Yeah. What's wrong? Oh, nothing, nothing. I just, I wanna comment, but I'm not deep enough into your world. Comment. To comment. Comment. I think, I mean, the 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 economic structure is usually very different. I mean, I, I assume. And that's where I think a lot of the, the, the issues if we didn't follow the money, that's where the issues come in. With with venture capitalists? Mm-hmm. Perhaps. Versus founders? Yeah. I mean, at the end of the day, it's going to be somewhat similar, right? So you've got your salary that you're getting paid on a daily basis. Mm-hmm. That would be the same whether you're in a startup or you're in a venture fund. And then you have your, if you're in a venture fund, your carry, which is like your commission on your investments effectively, right? Mm-hmm. And if you're an entrepreneur, it's your, your equity in the company. Okay. So, mm-hmm. well, I think there's probably a little more similarities and differences there. But. Do partners stay in their lanes more, as much as founders do? What do you mean stay in your lanes? Try to like micromanage other parts of the fund. 
Mm. You know, it really depends on the fund. I know some funds where it's like the partner, like they're like, okay, I am a partner in this fund. I, you know, it's a $300 million fund. There's three of us. I got to deploy a hundred million bucks uh, over a five year investment period. So that's 20 million bucks you know, including reserves, that means I need to place like $10 million. Um, so if I do like series A, series B deals, that's one deal a year for five years. Okay. And they will do their one deal and then they will literally be on the beach the rest yeah, of the year. <laughs> right. Um, then there are other funds that, you know, operate differently. So, um, I think, I think it just depends on the fund. Everyone's just a little bit different. Right. Okay. Some probably do micromanage and drive each other nuts and others probably don't engaged together enough right okay. where it's like why do you why are you even partners you should all just be running your own individual funds because it's effectively what you're doing all right so this is a good transition into the topic for this episode but it is <laughs> which we haven't even touched on yet are venture capitalists evil yes nice. so this is a google search so one of the things that peter and i are trying to do is what are the questions that you guys are asking and then we're like what are people typing in google so that's what what came here not a specific instance that happened during the week what do you think you're an entrepreneur are vcs evil i think ever since my like infancy into startup land yeah. um what if so one of my first one of the very few times I've ever worked for someone else, uh, they were an entrepreneur, perhaps the most successful entrepreneur that ever came out of the state of Utah. And but I think you might know who I'm talking about. And this person didn't understand liquidation preferences. Yeah. And from that and other experiences, people, I think, feel that VCs are, they don't care about you at all. They care about you as long, only as long as you're the, the shiniest quarter on the table and something might look shinier, you're gone like that. And history doesn't matter. Um, what do I feel? And I, I feel like that. I feel like I feel like market forces are market forces, and I'm a little bit unique where I feel like I can understand that. Yeah. But then again, I'm not. I have friends who who've taken companies public and they've dealt with VCs who've been just pulled their chains or did things that I think were very, very, very cruel. Sure. And I'm sure if I was in their shoes, I'd have a very different different approach. A lot of VCs are known or claimed, you know, they like, they, they'll pull founder, founding teams out and replace them. Mm -hmm. But I think people also don't look at that VCs also have fiduciary responsibilities. Yeah. Like that's their job. Their job is to look out for their shareholders. Their job is not to invest in, in CEOs and make them feel good. Yeah. And that unfortunately a lot of founders, there's very few people like Josh James. So I used to have a desk right next to Josh James. Yep. There's very few people like Josh James that can take it, who can come from concept to early stage startup to, you know, like every, every time a, a startup goes through zero to 1 million, and then it, if it goes from one to 10 million, and then say 10 million to hundred million, the company literally has to reinvent itself each time. Yep. And if there's not the right management team there at the right spot, it's going to fail. Yep. And if it fails, then the VCs lose everything. And I think most founders are not self-aware enough yep. or willing to like step aside and say, you recognize that you are no longer the parent capable of like leading your child to the next step yep and you have to hand your child off and i think for most founders they yep. just they can't do that it's really hard but i think they should do that yeah so it's like maybe so i've got a mixed view part, part of the issue i think is that a lot of vcs especially those that are like deemed as being like jerks sharks you know evil whatever uh end up being a little too short-sighted 
Mm-hmm. And I think entrepreneurs that get really offended by VCs that are acting very rationally are just being a little irrational, right? To your point, it's like, I can't give up my baby, which is a very kind of irrational type thing to say. Um, and so, yeah, it's probably a mix, right? Like VCs on the one hand, when they're overly rational and too short-sighted, do things to really screw over entrepreneurs under the excuse of like, hey, I've got fiduciary responsibility for my investors, blah, blah, blah. I say that short-sighted because I think smart VCs know that at the end of the day, this is power law and that there's only a couple deals in your portfolio that really matter and that you need to do everything you can to get into those deals on every subsequent fund. And the way you do that, one of the ways that you do that is you play really nice with your losers um, because that builds your reputation and allows you to get into those winners in the future. Mm -hmm. But I think some VCs, especially the ones that are inexperienced or maybe have a different viewpoint for whatever reason, different incentives, um, they look at their losers as like, I got to squeeze everything out of these losers, right? Or I'm not meeting my fiduciary responsibility. Mm -hmm. And I just fundamentally disagree with that. But, you know, there are different schools of thought there. Um, So I think that's one issue. And and when that happens, I think entrepreneurs look at it and they say, well, VCs are evil, right? Um, but the flip side is like, I know a lot of really great VCs that they spend a lot of time supporting, uh, you know, their losers in their portfolio and trying to help them and, and get them to some sort of a liquidity event and, and so on and so forth and do management carve outs and other things to protect the founders from getting hit by liquidation preferences. So, you know, I see that also happening and I don't think very many entrepreneurs, are standing up and saying, hey, like that VC like did me right either, right? Mm-hmm. But it's, it's really easy to jump on the VCs when they do something wrong. And then I think the other side of that is like, sometimes the VCs are doing the right thing for the founder and for the company and for their fiduciary responsibility. And it's a rational like thing to do. It's the right thing to do. And the entrepreneur is being a little too emotional about the mm-hmm. whole thing, which is totally understandable, right? It's like you put your heart and soul and blood sweat tears into this thing Uh, how could you not be emotional about it but that still doesn't mean that like being emotional is the the right thing for Mm -hmm. that company right like to your point like sometimes the entrepreneur needs to be replaced with somebody that can take it to the next level right and that's okay Uh, that doesn't mean that the vc is evil Mm -hmm. right it could be the very best thing for that entrepreneur right like i think you and i know lots of situations where the company would not have gotten to where it is had the founder continued to run and operate it. And that founder, because the company eventually was taken to that place, cashed out, you know, hundreds of millions of dollars, life-changing, like all of those things. Mm-hmm. Um, but, and I guess the last thing I'll just say is that as a VC, replacing management teams, cracking down, like all those things is the very last thing that any VC wants to do. When, it, when that happens, I will tell you, like most VCs will tell will, will feel like they are a failure because they failed to identify a founder that could take the company all the way, right? Um, I, I have a friend that, that's a VC for a long time and his partners at the time uh, were VCs in companies like Intuit and some of these other big companies. And, and he was like, he was like, well, they, they were saying like, you know, we want to back founders that can take companies all the way. And he was like, well, that's easy to you, for you to say, because you back companies like Intuit, you know, and like blah, blah, blah. And these, these really great founders that could do that. And, uh, and they were like, yeah, we did. And that's our standard, right? And that's, that's the kind of deal we invest in. We, we're not going to get excited about deals run by entrepreneurs that can't take it all the way, right? Which means you've got to get really good at identifying that type of founder. So 
you know, can the things that VCs do be viewed as evil in some cases? Sure. And are there cases where VCs are definitely doing things that are hurtful, short-sighted? Yes. But at the same time as a VC, like, I want to back that entrepreneur that can take it all the way, that can build the great team, that is going to cash out billions of dollars when this thing goes, you know, uh, goes to the moon. Because if that's the case, like, those types of founders, they're the ones that are building companies like Facebook. They're building, you know, Google and Amazon and, and some of these really big companies and Snowflake and, you know, so and on and on and on. Um, and that's where VCs really generate like the massive returns, right? Going back to that power law, like those are the deals that return the fund multiple times over and set you up for the rest of your life. Okay. So I don't think they're evil, but I can see why they'd be seen as evil. But and I would assume that evil things are a minority. Would you agree with that or disagree? That the evil things are a minority? I think so. I guess. I think there's also an element of like, it's all a negotiation, mm -hmm. right? And sometimes it can be viewed as like zero sum. Your your smile got too big there. Do you like the VC negotiations? Uh, not really. I mean, I, you don't, you're not on the negotiation side as much. You're Not as much. You're selecting more of the deals yeah. than negotiating the terms. Yeah. But I will say that if I don't like the terms, because I think the VC is being too aggressive, I either won't participate or I will kind of make my opinion clear. Like I prefer very clean cap tables and term sheets. I prefer entrepreneurs that have good equity positions within the companies. Yeah. I mean, I fully support like management carve outs, you know, when things go sideways and the company gets you know, acquired for, for less than we had all hoped. Right. I think it's important as a VC to play the long game. Mm -hmm. Like I didn't do VC so that I could like work in VC for a couple of years and then go spin out and do something else. We just raised this fund. It's a 10 year fund, right? I hope to raise another one in a couple of years. It's going to be another 10 year fund and then another 10 year fund. How many VCs actually are doing deals to spin out? Isn't it more of they, they jump in, they either don't make partner track and or they can't raise another fund, then they bounce. Yeah, basically. Because isn't VC kind of like the holy grail to be in? I don't know if I'd say that. I think it's got some real downsides that people don't talk about. But like what? Uh, like if you if your fund doesn't perform well, what do you do? Go get a job. You jump out. You get a job, right? You're on a you're on a board. But like, who wants to hire you, right? Like, what do you know how to do? If you've been a VC, because it takes like, let's say it takes ten years to really prove out if you're a good VC or not, right? Well, in those ten years, what skills have you developed that are worth anything to anybody other than being a VC? So what do VCs do in that scenario? Not much. Strategy? I don't know. Can you name any VCs that have failed that are like doing something interesting today? We start a syndicate? Maybe. But who really wants to invest with them? I mean, most, it's just really hard. Like, I think most of them kind of retire because there's nothing else for them to do. Okay. Most... And they've been probably paid really well. And so it's also hard to swallow, like getting paid less somewhere else. So yeah, I think a lot of VCs just kind of, they hang it up or they... Most of the VCs I know are still in the game. Yeah, because it takes 10 years. Mm -hmm. Right? And realistically, it takes like 15 years before you're fully kicked out. So that means that like, and that's from like essentially being a partner. So if you don't make partner, let's say you're a young partner at 30, which is young, right? Mm -hmm. uh, you're 45 by the time like you can't raise another fund. Yeah. Which means at 45, like, and you have no like discernible skills, like programming or biz dev or corp dev or you're running a company, you know, like any of those things, like... They start a company, then. What do you do? <laughs> I know a few that have gone on and done corp dev. So okay. they help, like, acquire businesses. I know some that... I know a bunch that do, like, consulting. Um, but, yeah, I think, I think it's tough.
Our consultants just another. Isn't Some it? try to like hunt around for deals and do SPVs and other weird things, and it never like fully pans out. If someone says they're a consultant or entrepreneur, doesn't that really mean they're just unemployed? Your friends who are consultants are the true consultants, former VCs. Probably not. Okay. Sorry, that was maybe a little too dark. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. They still have their networks, right? Yeah, I mean, they should have an amazing network. Should. I don't know. It's just the risk, right? Maybe they go into politics. Fail in VC, go to politics. Do you see that transition? Um, I don't know if I'd say like failed at VC, but maybe like dabbled in VC and then got into politics. Okay. Which maybe that means they did fail. I don't know. <laughs> maybe, maybe. We've got two people running for senator, right, in different states that were both former VCs. Okay. So, I've been following the races that closely. One was at Teal, um, the other was at uh, Rise of the Rest. I mean, um, I don't know what they're, honestly, I don't know what their track record was like. Okay. I'll line on it. Okay. Got it. So VCs we've decided are not evil, although many founders will still disagree. That's fine. All right. It's like Josh James once said at one of our conferences. He was like... Was he on Adderall? Sorry, sorry, not Josh James. Uh, Josh Coates. Josh Coates? Okay. Josh Coates was like... I was going to say, was this the Josh James, the Adderall version or the non-Adderall version? <laughs> I'm not going to find on that. But Josh Coates was like... VCs, you know, like, they're all snakes, but you just gotta get comfortable with the snake. Know that they're a snake. I don't know that he's necessarily wrong, right? It's just VCs, to your earlier point, have a fiduciary responsibility to generate returns for their investors, and they try to do the best they can. Mm -hmm. And hopefully, when you work with a VC, make sure you're working one, with one that has a long-term perspective on building their brand and supporting companies, and not one that's looking to, you know, squeeze every last penny out of every single one. Okay, got it. Well, let's wrap this podcast up here. All right. Decided VCs are not evil. Go to venturecapital.fm if you want to follow us more. And all of our links are there. So we will see you again on the next episode. Thanks, guys. Till next time.